Welcome to the Healing Dreams Project, exploring projective dream work for your health and wholeness. Hello and welcome to the Healing Dreams Project, exploring projective dream work for your health and wholeness with hosts Billy Ortiz and Dr. Royce Fitz. I am the producer, Viviana, and today's special guest is Laura Deal. She is the founder of the First Church of Metaphor. She is a certified dream work facilitator through the Marin Institute for Projective Dream Work. Laura will help you understand the deeper meanings of your dreams. She's also an author, a poet, storyteller, dream reader and teacher with a wide variety of artistic and social interests. She loves the use of juxtaposition of images and words to shake loose creative energy. Welcome, Laura Deal. Hey, Laura. Thank so you so much. So glad you're here, Laura. It, it, you're one of my dearest friends. I've known you for so long. We've shared so many dreams together. It's great to see you here. One of the Thank richest you. dreamers ever Aww. in my projection. <laughs> and I'm excited you. about your poetry. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm very delighted to be here. So our first question is always tell us about how you got involved with dreams and, and some of your history. All right. Well, I um, let me pull this up. So uh, I always start this story with, I was about this old when I first realized dreams really had some deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. And I had a dream. Uh, I was the youngest of three kids. My parents were understandably stressed and used to argue sometimes. And I had a dream that they were raising their voices with each other, and I crawled under the dining room table where they were standing and began to cry. And they stopped their argument and looked under the table and said, what are you doing under there? And the energy in the room shifted and, and the dream, I don't remember anything more. But then a few weeks later, um, my parents did start having a raised voices conversation, which I was very sensitive to. And I remembered this dream and crawled under the table and began to cry as only a two-year-old can. And they stopped their argument and looked under the table and said, what are you doing under there? And I thought, aha, <laughs> you know, there's, there's something to all of this yeah. and I should pay attention. Um, unfortunately, my parents were uh, both mathematicians and dreams were not to be paid any attention to um just utterly dismissed and so then i didn't i read a lot of books and was curious but then when i was 39 in 2000 um was when i first met jeremy taylor went to workshop with him uh, at naropa here in boulder and that's where I met Billy, 
for the first time as well. Um, and Jeremy became my mentor. And I started going to Billy's retreats and um, found a real community and a family there. And yeah, it's, it's still my primary spiritual practice, I think. Um, I think work and dreams builds compassion and we need a lot more of that in the world. Mm-hmm. And the community there was very kind and let me share my poems, encouraged me to share my poems. So I can read one of those now if you want. Please, thank you. It's all about this one I wrote for Billy for her birthday. Um, thinking about the, the retreats. It's called Dream Mother. After the dark dream, when the image lingers like an answer whose question is forgotten in the stark light of day, the dreamer needs her sisters, those who can speak of blood and the fragile wings of hope in one breath, those who know a woman's secrets. After the wild dream of running naked in the street, the classroom, and the office, the cloak of the dreamer is the only clothing that suits. The fabric of projection, bunching and smoothing the wrinkled edges of awareness. After the terrifying dream of storms and floods and drowning, the dreamer needs her clan. A family birthed from dreams, nurtured by the dream mother who holds us in her awareness and gentles our fevered fears. After the glorious dreams of celebration, of awareness expanded, the dreamer wants only to sit with those who understand, whose hearts are open, whose bloodlines matter less than their dreamlines, who find their family where dreams gather together and speak. Every single time you read that, I feel like I just want to burst out crying. (laughs) Thank you so much. That's so beautiful. I always get that that the dream lines matters more than their bloodlines. That's the one that always gets me. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for giving me yet another platform to share my poetry. Yeah. Really appreciate it. So, do you want to talk more about your about your poetry book? Should I bring up the image of it so we can we can um or did you have more of your slideshow? Um, I have it in the slideshow, so either way. Okay, great. Why don't you go ahead and continue sharing on your end? Okay. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. those retreats, they they were really something, and I'm looking forward to them getting started again post post pandemic time yeah um so yeah the retreats also encouraged me um one of the things that grew out of them was the waking the dreamer within festival and billy produced that and a bunch of us jumped in to be part of it and i used it as a deadline to pull together my book um, which is part memoir the story of that friendship and that community growing and my path through it and part dream symbol dictionary. Um, this uh, book, all of that. 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, this book, uh, I, I, you know, you can, we all study dreams and look for resources, etc. So I've read a lot. I have loved this book from the first time that I read it, mm -hmm. because it had a kind of spiritual practicality, kind of that weaving together. And uh, I remember reading it two or three times when I first got a hold of it, and I would keep it close to me, like, wow. oh, you know, I, I need to kind of settle back into this. Uh, so this has been a gift to me, Laura, and and I I and to the world. Oh, thank you, Royce. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. oh, I do appreciate hearing that. Yeah. Yeah, it just felt like it was part of the work that grew out of that synergy of of Billy and Jeremy working together and and uh, building that community. Um, yeah, and then the other book that came out of it was my poetry book, Marbles, um, which I just read from, yeah. and it has several other dream poems in it, um, and. You know, Jeremy was one of the kindest human beings ever to walk the planet. And so, of course, he would say very nice things, but he had very nice things to say about this book. And I was grateful that it touched him as well. Yeah. Oh, every single poem in here is so sweet. It just, it's just, it, it, I love the mar the poem that uh, the title's based on, Marbles. It's a beautiful, beautiful poem. And then um, all yeah. the different, pieces of of Laura's I see it Laura's life you know blossoming and as a mother and growing into a in, into womanhood so it's an it's phenomenal I love it I go back to it often oh thank you yeah, yeah I had fun uh, putting together the cover for this these are marbles some of which were found in my garden which that poem is about mm -hmm. um, and this is in my garden so it was are there a couple of little aggies in there Ag Ag a little what aggies little aggie marbles do you remember mm. those little aggies they were always precious mm. in the marble game and there's also a couple of uh, you can see me in a couple of them in the mm. upper left there's a oh, I shiny see. one yeah that has a reflection yeah <laughs> the bigger blue one you can kind of see me against the sky yeah wow that's i had never noticed that man. before that's cool <laughs> that's sort of the secret part of the marbles cover right it reminds me of a dream where you can see it from different angles <laughs> well and it reminds me in that sense of uh jeremy's dreams you know because jeremy and i exchanged a lot of dream work and towards the end of his life he had more and more experiences of dreams sort of held in bubbles all hmm. happening at once and uh right. he could hold them all or if he zoomed in on one the others kind of vanished it was just astonishing imagery Amazing. astonishing so. is a great word for that <laughs> yeah so let me stop sharing there um should I talk about First Church of Metaphor a little bit? Well, sure. That would be great. 
And then I was going to ask you about storytelling after that. So why don't you go ahead and, and tell us more about First Church of Metaphor. Do we address you as the Reverend Doctor <laughs> as we as we acknowledge your as we used to with Jeremy <laughs> as as yeah. as you first church well this metaphor. well this came out of um, a retreat this was one of the retreats up at uh, up behind Loveland what was the name of that Sunrise Ranch Sunrise Sunrise Ranch. Um, and sorry, then we were talking for the, about for the people who are not seeing the slideshow. This is from firstchurchofmetaphor.com. If you would like to take a look. Oh, thank Go you, ahead. Viviana. Yes, First Church of Metaphor. Um, yeah, we had been sitting around talking about starting churches. I think uh, <laughs> one of the other participants was interested in that and talking to Jeremy about it. And he firmly believed that you should just be able to start your own church. And I said, if I were to start a church, it would be the first church of metaphor uh, took off from there. Mm -hmm. So it became this website um, started in about 2012 and started as a place for art and dreams and different ways of looking in the world. It's more focused now, particularly on dreams. Um, was my other my lauracadeal.com lauradeal.com website is more for my storytelling so mm -hmm. um but yeah i have posts about dream symbols um and some of the imagery that goes with those great so, yeah i love the title the first church of metaphor it's just beautiful <laughs> And I remember and in that people, discussion, I remember that discussion because Jeremy kept saying the one thing this country got right was freedom of religion. And so he said that, you know, we should all, you know, have some sort of uh, organization that we can call a church and gives us a lot of freedom of expression. I thought, I think he's right about that. So, yeah, yeah, there, yeah I believe people, this is. I believe this is the retreat in which there was a woman in attendance that was being ordained and Jeremy oh, gave the good. ordination blessing. I, I think mm. it was at this retreat. Is that correct? Oh, that's way back. Day? That very early on. Is that, that be, is that before Laura's? Yeah, uh, I think that was before this. Okay. Yeah. They, they all blend together. <laughs> I know. Tell me about it. Mm -hmm. yeah. But you were about to say something, Laura? Were you? Oh, I was just going to say I, I post various things and then I all sorts of people write in to the website and comment on posts and share dream snippets and um, Great. I will say in the last administration, the top uh, post was on tornadoes, oh. uh, which I thought was really interesting, including an orange tornado. Um, oh, very interesting. And, and the second most popular post is dreaming of being the opposite sex. Yeah. yeah. So I think it, it ties in with the work that more with I'm doing now. So we can talk about that later. But or I don't know what's next. What's the next? Yeah. Well, you know, I I love your storytelling, and I love I've been very pl uh, blessed to have seen you live many times. And I know that now things have changed quite a lot because of COVID and 
you've had to perform more via Zoom. Uh, but tell us a little bit about why why did you feel like uh, storytelling was the next step? Well, that was an intuitive tug of the heart, just like all the important things I've done in my life. Um, I think the real pull came when I used to go to the Conference on World Affairs here at, in Boulder, and um, they would bring in Liz Weir from Northern Ireland and Claire Murphy from Ireland, and I would sit in the audience and listen to them, and I would think, I should be doing that. I should be doing that. And I did a training with a group that does, I was also interested in intergenerational work, and I did a training with a group that um, trains elders in the art of oral storytelling and then sets them up in as volunteers in the schools. And so I started that, this is my sixth year, and mm. I go in once a month to various classrooms. Right now I have two kindergarten and one first grade classroom and share traditional tales from around the world. Um, absolutely my favorite audience. Um, really love working with the kids. And just, it was kind of an empty nest project. I started exploring all the different ways to do storytelling. The first time my sister heard me perform in public, she said, Oh, that reminds me of when you were 15 and we were stuck in a hotel in a storm and you like made up a story and told us a story for two hours straight. <laughs> Just oh. Like, oh. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess I have kind of been doing this my whole life. Yeah. So it uh, followed my heart right into it. Yeah. So I know you have a really exciting upcoming project, and I don't know if it's too early to mention this or not, but the work you're doing with the Chautauqua organization, is it? Or Yes, and let me, um, let me pull up an image for you for that as well, because I have a really delightful um, image. Yes, I, that was another follow your heart. <laughs> um, yeah. Follow the intuition. And I saw this announcement for a training for, um, whoops, hang on, for doing this Chautauqua training and had a very strong intuitive tug for that. And my initial thought was, so Chautauqua style storytelling is you take on the persona of someone who has passed from the physical realm and you do sort of a 40 minute presentation as them presenting their work to the world focused on the humanities this was a grant from the north dakota humanities council and then take questions still in persona for about 10 minutes and then questions as the scholar and i just i saw that announcement and i thought oh i'm supposed to be doing that <laughs> and my second thought was, I have plenty else that I should be doing. I, why yeah. would I take that on? Um, but I went ahead and started looking into the application process. And originally, I was thinking of doing um, Georgia O'Keeffe. And the deeper I got into it, and the more I realized she had 
some 900 paintings, I thought, I don't know if that's going to feel right for me to be like trying to remember all the paintings and I'm not, I, I do paint, but that's not my main thing. And then I was in conversation with Billy and expressing this, um, this dilemma that I was feeling. I wasn't sure that this was what I wanted to do. And Billy said something along the lines of, well, I know who I would be interested in is Marion Woodman. <laughs> if it were and my talk. It was, <laughs> it was a ding, 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 ding kind of yeah. moment. Um, and so I have been doing a deep dive into Marion Woodman. Mm. And I will. You're mentioning to uh, Marion Woodman and you're using the word Chautauqua. And I'm not sure all of our listeners know either of those words those are the name or words and can you yeah. say something real quick about marianne woodman and then chautauqua what in the world is that although chautauqua. it's one of my favorite organizations in the uh, world sure yeah no that's a good point that's a good point so i just wanted to bring up this caricature this is a drawing by tom chalkley who um the north dakota council on humanities got him to do caricatures of all 12 figures that the scholars in this cohort are presenting. And I love that he got the yin and yang in there because Marion Woodman was a Jungian. Um, she started out as a, as a teacher. She taught um, high school drama and English poetry and soon paired up with the phys ed teacher to do very embodied work with the poetry. She did that for about 20 years, but was also suffering from anorexia. And then uh, had, a, had a moment on the street in Toronto where she could not summon the physical energy to stop a taxi and decided to take herself off to India and um, in India met what she felt was an expression of the Black Madonna, the, the wild goddess, the goddess of death, the goddess of, you know, just unrestrained passion, creativity. Um, and she subsequently went into analysis and then she trained at the Jung Institute and worked as an analyst uh, for another, gosh, 20 years probably. Um, and then in her 60s, faced some other health challenges. She eventually recovered from the anorexia, and that led to her first book, or yeah, first and second book were about that. The owl was a baker's daughter and addiction to perfection. She worked with a lot of women who were struggling with anorexia. Um, and then she got on the lecture circuit and popularized the need to recognize the feminine in the world um, and the new masculine that, that she saw coming in. Um, yeah. Sometimes yeah. worked out through her marriage and um, her husband Ross was uh, willing to to work on his own projections and um, 
she she would say that they had been they were married four times because they mm. reinvented their marriage uh, <laughs> consciously and, and with full awareness so she was an amazing character and the chautauqua tradition was originally in the 1800s um scholars in the humanities would tour around and give speeches in large to large groups and um, bring education and lectures and things that might not have been accessible otherwise and then i think it was in the 70s don't quote me on that um, the movement had kind of died out and it was revived in this new form with people taking on the persona of important historical figures yeah so yeah. So it, the original Chautauqua was in New York, Chautauqua Lake, New York, and was started by the Methodist Church of all things oh, really? as a as a Sunday school training program for people out in the frontier, white people's words for frontier out west. Huh. And there were these tours and they eventually morphed into what became this amazing uh, uh, presentation of, of what you've described, Laura, and there are only two Chautauqua organizations left, one in Boulder, Colorado, yay, and the other in Chautauqua, New York. And um, uh, so they still have major programs that follow along the spirit of this line. So for you to move into the Chautauqua uh, 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 method of communication is, is, is truly a natural uh, movement for you and a, a great gift for all of us that you're a part of that. And to do uh, uh, Marianne Woodman as one of the presentations is like, wow, it just weaves so much together. Yeah, and the other, the other thread that gets woven in from my life was I have a before all of this, I got a PhD in history. History. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, bringing all that historical perspective. And, and Marion Woodman was born very close in the timeline of the 20th century to my own parents. And so mm. it feels very integrated with my life. Phenomenal being. I'm so glad you took me up on my suggestion. <laughs> I was just thinking <laughs> if I was going to do this. Wow. I love, you know, because she's just she has um, she's just one of my heroes and had a lot of poise and strength. And and, you know, I I mostly uh, I kind of came into her work sort of at a lat latter part of her work when she was working with Robert Bly and because Robert Bly did so many of the men's conferences and that balance of masculine and feminine between the, the two of them, I thought was brilliant. So, you know, I'm, I'm really mm -hmm. glad. I'm looking forward to hearing more about it. So, all right, great. Yeah. Well, are we at that point where we might want to share a dream? Do you have a dream snippet that you brought? I or is there do. anything else you want to you want to tell us about? Uh, so we'll just men mention your websites again, just so everybody listening knows. Okay, so we talked about first church of metaphor which is just all one word dot com and then my storytelling is primarily on lauradeal.com l-a-u-r-a-d-e-a-l.com and i also wanted to mention that one of the gifts of storytelling 
with the pandemic was um, some friends started Artists Standing Strong together. And it just celebrated its second year in existence. They are two professional storytellers who came together and said, people are gonna lose everything, all of their income oh. with this shutdown. And so they started the Storyteller Relief Fund, the Monday uh, gathering, which is on Zoom, which has been going for every Monday, um, except Memorial Day and Labor Day yeah. um, for two years now. And everyone is welcome. Don't have to be a storyteller. Uh-huh. We do all sorts of different things. Um, and they what is do the a, website for that? Um, artiststandingstrongtogether.org. And they also host a camp. Uh, one on kids who are interested in storytelling can work one on one with a storytelling mentor. They get put into a sort of pod. And so they get one on one time and then they are in a group with three other pairs and there's a host and we have had I have personally mentored students from the United States, Canada and Uganda. We've had uh, students from five continents and hosts as well. So it's it's an astonishing thing and we would love your support. I'm on the board for that because I really believe in the work that they're doing. And then they have the Storyteller Relief Fund that they started right away for people who needed immediate, you know, got to pay the light bill kind of thing. Yeah. So really good work in the world. So all of this will be on the uh, podcast notes, all of this information that listeners can go to the show notes. Laura, I just love how you say that you follow your heart and intuition and it's brought, brought you to dreams across poetry, into storytelling, getting a PhD in history. Mm-hmm. I, I'm just uh, in awe of that, that process. And it, it's very much similar to my process, but I'd like to hear how has, it, has that thread been for you? Um, it took me a long time to trust it. And I will say this work with Marion Woodman is resonating on many, many levels. Um, I remember when, so the poem Marbles that Billy talked about earlier a lot was about the expectations that I had growing up, um, what a woman's role in the world would be. I should meet my husband in college. I would would stay at home and I would have kids. And um, that was what I wanted and there was no husband from college and there was no husband in my early 20s and i had to figure out how to support myself and um i just my 20s were really hard and i finally decided to go back to school because i was good at school i knew how to do school my parents were academics and um and i that was when i first started praying to a female deity, framing God with a feminine metaphor. Um, And the resounding reply that I got was, it's about time. Um, And I think just, Laura, what what nudged you into that very bold breakthrough of, of embracing the feminineness of the, the being 
What oh, metaphor? Royce, that's such a that could be a three hour answer. Oh, I mean, so, so, I mean, okay. it, I was always um, I think I was always chafing mm -hmm. at the limitations that had been put on me, mm -hmm. um, especially as a woman. Um, I had encountered a lot of sexism at that point, and I was raised Methodist mm -hmm. and then a little bit Unitarian in my teens. Um, so, you know, the Unitarians probably helped me think outside that mm -hmm. Methodist box a little more. Um, but I'd kind of never resonated with our father who art in heaven kind of. Yeah you know, authority feeling figure. Um, I identified much more with the feminine and it seemed to me at that point even that God was not some person up in the sky, some, you know, mm -hmm. that, that we were made in God's image as creative individuals versus God looks like a homo sapien. Um, and so I think it just was a natural step. Uh, there was a certain amount of desperation in it, you know, it's like, so, I want my life to be going better. Right. That certain amount of desperation was God is, God is given that, you know, that, and thank you for struggling with the answer. I didn't mean to make you stumble. And <laughs> no. I love, I love this stumble. Uh, thank you for doing that stumble for us yeah. and and the breadth of what this brought you into. Yeah. Just a footnote about how the the you know the divine often shows up in our dreams. The masculine form of God often shows up as a disembodied voice. And the feminine often shows up as a lovely big black woman <laughs> or a lovely voluptuous, you know, woman embodied. So I, in my version of what I just heard you heard my friend Laura share is like, there's a part of me that needed to be more in, in tactile contact with the divine rather than seeing it somewhere outside of me or overseeing my life and like the, i call it the santa claus god you know watching out you know is everybody doing is everybody being naughty or, or nice you know and and but there's and this is my one of my personal um hits about why pe so many people dream about oprah winfrey because i think oprah winfrey you know she she has this like abundance of billions of dollars on top of her lovely, beautiful body. And so she, I, in my take, whenever she shows up in someone's dream, it's like, oh, we've encountered the dark, you know, the dark goddess, she's here. This mm -hmm. is, this is it. So anyway, that's just a footnote about, um, maybe helpful to other people listening, but it, it's this idea of, uh, am I in contact, direct contact or not? Mm -hmm. So that might be a good segue if you want to share a dream snip snippet. It feels right. Uh, sure. So I have been dreaming a lot in just recall has just been bits and pieces okay. that I'm able to bring over. Um, and so I have three short bits from about a week ago. Oh, okay. Um, the first is I have to find a place to spend the night 
but it's already 10 p.m. and the people I'm with want to go see someone else first. Okay. And then I think part of that same dream, there's a group that has just arrived with a baby and the baby is feverish. And I discuss with the adults about whether they can all stay and where we will all be and who will be in what rooms. There's concern about this possibly being COVID, but certainly something, you know, that could be contagious. Mm. And then the very last scene, um, I'm in a room, it's just kind of a normal living room kind of space. And there are two naked men standing, talking, just waiting for another person to arrive. And there's no sense of this being anything unusual or untoward in any way. There's no sexual overtone to it at all. Um, but yeah, okay. knowing what I would project on all of that, I thought, I'll bring those bits to this <laughs> <laughs> dream share. And these were all d dreams uh, in different times, different time frames, but within the last week. These were all one night. Oh, one night. Okay. So these feel like parts of the same dream. The third scene, I'm not sure if it was, you know, contiguous in time, but it was contiguous in my recall. So in the last uh, piece there, the living room where I, I see the, the two naked men standing and talking, am I part mm -hmm. of the conversation or is that just standing there watching? And I feel, do I feel, I'll rephrase that a little bit. Do I feel like I'm a disembodied observer or do I feel as though I'm part of the scene? I feel like I'm present in the scene. I'm sitting on a couch, Okay. Um, but I am, I'm an embodied observer, I would say. Um, I'm not like interacting with them directly, but I'm definitely there in the room. And does it seem as though their conversation is friendly or or like like they're going to have some sort of argument or just seems very calm very yeah calm. there's just kind of hanging out waiting for somebody else to get there and as i was thinking about this dream and what they look like i only really remember one of them mm -hmm. and i would say he was in his is in his late 20s to early 30s um dark hair and kind of a short beard facial hair okay i and like how dreams like this this little these little snippets and especially in the same night how they at some level in my projection if this were my dream they're building one upon the other mm -hmm. and and there is a, a a beautiful as yet unseen in my projection uh connection um that one of the first words that comes to me in my projection is what is being revealed in the end mm -hmm. and 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 you know how better can i experience revelation than to be naked in my dream yeah. and and so there's this pl 
place in my projection uh, where I don't know where I'm going to stay. And I, I do feel a kind of lostness in my projection. Where am I going? And other elements, other parts of me want, want to do one more thing or want to see another person. It's like I'm being torn. And this baby that has fever stands yes. out to me. And in my you know, empathic concern and worry, my parental, fatherly, motherly concern. And what are we going to do? And then there's this revelation uh, in, in the end. So I, that, that's where I need to stop just to, to process this revelation of these aspects of what is being revealed. Nice success. Yeah, when when we have these like triple these dreams that want to stay together in three parts, I often think to myself about past, present, and future. Like, mm -hmm. is is the are are the dream snippets commenting on each of those stages of my life? Um, it's very it's very interesting to me that it's specifically ten p.m. It's not like ten or eleven mm -hmm. or ten thirty or anything. So 10 p.m. for me, the number 10 is about starting a new cycle, the end of a cycle. So I'm ready to start something new. So once we hit 10, it's like, okay, we're going to, and it's also the Wheel of Fortune in the Tarot. So for me, that first bit's about how I'm, as the dreamer, I'm about to embark on a whole nother journey in my life. And we just, as as we just um, heard through the interview, I, as Laura, I've had all these different stages of my life and all these different projects. And it and it's as though there's going to be an, another one on, on, I'm on the cusp of something else very new. And I think that's why the baby shows up in the second piece, because for me, babies are one of, they're, they're one of my very favorite dream symbols. <laughs> I, have to, I have to say, they're one of my very favorite dream symbols because it talks about something that that I'm birthing into the world that I need to give un unconditional love to in order for it to survive and, and thrive. And this baby's sick. This baby has has a, a bit of a fever and there's concern about contagion. Um, but so it's not my baby in the dream, right? It's somebody who arrives with the baby, right? Right, right. And, and the baby's approximately how old? Oh, probably six to nine months, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. Okay. And that's a great age for babies, but you know, I can, so, and I, since it's not my baby, it's someone else's baby. Do I care for it in any way? Do I hold the baby and put a cold rag on its head or anything? No, no, my, um, my whole role in it is trying to figure out where everybody's going to stay. Where am I going to put all these uh, people, all these parts of myself? All these parts where do of they all go. <laughs> and, and the new and the new part of myself arrives and creates havoc. Yeah. So there's yeah exactly, and I I totally get it. So there's so I, if it were my dream, I would go back six to nine months. What did I birth six to nine months ago that might be asking me for a little bit more attention? because it needs care, even more care than what I'm what I'm dealing all my other projects 
need my attention, but this particular new one needs help specifically, more care, more, more close care, because as though we, when we have our, a baby six months old with a fever, it's like, oh, I got to drop everything right now and, and, and help the baby get better. So if that were my definitely comes up. Yeah, yeah, I definitely have a, an aha with that. Um, so another big piece of my life is I was appointed the family historian archivist and um, it was about six months ago that I did a show about my grandfather based on his letters and I do feel a great amount of pressure to settle these family archives somewhere other yeah. than in my basement preferably some kind of library or historical society or something. And that pressure feels more intense now um, after the Marshall fire and, yeah. you know, just realizing, I think I always knew, I've always been afraid of something like that happening to the archives, mm -hmm. um, but having it play out so close to home really was a wake up call. So a lot of our, you know, my spouse and I are spending a lot of time figuring out how to do fire mitigation around the house. So that ties in with that sort of feverish yeah. feeling too of something mm -hmm. burning. Yeah. If I could go ahead, jump in. Uh, if this were my dream, dovetailing on what's already been said, it's interesting for me to note that the first two dreams I'm it placed in a in a setting of concern in the first i'm concerned about other about where to spend the night yet other people want to see another person first so my needs are not being addressed and i and i feel a pressure and then the baby comes in and it's feverish and again i'm concerned about it contaging uh, becoming contagious a contagious element for the for all of us in the group and then I'm I'm, it's interesting for me to realize that when the two naked men, two yeah. naked men, balance of some kind, two naked men are standing there talking, I'm not concerned, they're not concerned, and I'm just watching. So it's interesting that I'm concerned at first, yet yeah. something that might be concerning in a normal situation, I'm not concerned at all. And the 10 p.m., numerology numerology numerologically ah, is that a word speaking <laughs> i would i might shave it down to one and one in the tarot is the fool so again dovetailing on what billy said one is the start of commencing of a new journey one is the magician mm -hmm. zero is the fool the oh that's right that's right yeah. that's right so, so maybe it's the magician and the fool <laughs> <Show it together. laughs> It could be, but no, yeah, that's, that's, I love what you just said, Viviana. I didn't, that's important because yeah, I'm distressed and sort of in the first two pieces, there's like a level of distress. And then the last piece is like, oh, you know, there's, there's something being conferred and, and agreed on in, in my version of it, the two and I, and nakedness in a dream is again, one of my favorite symbols because it's our most authentic self being shown. And I'm not, as the dreamer, I'm not naked, but I'm standing there with two naked men. So these are the parts of me 
that represent the masculine energy of being able to move forward with the project that I need to move forward with to, to preserve the archives of my family. I think it's so fascinating to listen to all three of you discuss this and, and in my projection, it just verifies the beauty of projection and how we can embrace this dream that the dreamer had out of our own story, out of the tarot, out of another angle, another perspective. And the dream then becomes ours uh, for us to be nourished. And I'm curious how the dreamer holds this, yeah. these projections right now. What is this like? Oh, I'm definitely having ahas on a mm. lot of this. You know, I mean, my having done a lot of dream work myself, you know, the two naked men felt like mm. here's the twins, something new coming into consciousness. Mm. The, mm -hmm. you know, two mm. of something is often a pointer to that. Mm. Um, and just the work I've done with the Marion Woodman writing and all of thinking about the new masculine and um conversation i just had with my spouse the other night about my we just, i just got a haircut and you know how i got when i got my hair cut short it was long 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 until i was 52 and then whoosh, and i felt more like myself than i mm. had ever really felt and so i think there's this externalization of wanting to bring the masculine and feminine together um so yeah i'm having ahas with with all of it you know this it feeling like all the all the projects that yeah. want to happen competing for my time and the, the word metaphor has all has I suppose in the last 30 years has has been one of my favorite words. And here I'm meeting the woman, the dreamer who has founded a church of metaphor. <laughs> and, and, and how all of us, when we are projecting, are using some aspect of metaphor to describe right. how we experience meaning and beauty and adventure and tragedy and sorrow and put all this together. We tell our story that way. Mm. And uh, I, I hear the dreamer describing the integration of many elements and energies coming together to be lived out, to be lived out in the waking world, yeah. uh, that, that there is such a thin line between the dreaming and the waking world and how I need, how I can live this out in the waking in the waking world and help the world to change for the good. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, yeah, nicely said, thank it's you. It's always my prayer. In the Church of Metaphor, that is my prayer as well. <laughs> mm -hmm. <All> right. Amen. <laughs> Thanks, Laura, wonderful. Is there anything else you wanna say here at the end to close up any other thoughts or, or anything else you wanna express before we your closing piece. No, I'm I'm thank grateful for the the dream work and the conversation and and uh, it was lovely to sit in in dream space mm -hmm. with 
with you all. Well, we're really great. It's wonderful to have you here. Thank you for coming. Um, and we'll we'll let you know when it's released to the public, which is going to be happening soon. So. <laughs> Excellent. So, I, so I'll say a couple of things in closing. Viviana, you want to say something before I go or anything else? Uh, well, I just want to make sure our listeners like the podcast, subscribe wherever you're listening and share to your friends. And this helps get the word out. This has been the Healing Dreams Project podcast. Uh, Billy, why don't you tell us where people can get in touch with you? Okay, uh, you can reach me through my website at wakeuptoyourdreams.com. Um, I host two dream groups each month, one in the evening and one in the afternoon. So all the dates are up on the website. Um, and I have other projects coming up. One is that I'm going to be presenting at the Shift Network, which will start uh, the, uh, for the DreamWorks Summit. And they're gonna have the uh, registration opens around April 17th. So keep keep an eye on the website and you'll, you'll get more information. And, oh, one other thing, I gotta always remember, uh, we have a dream hotline where people can call in and leave a message with a little snippet of a dream or question about a dream symbol. And if we can, we'll try to share the audio on the podcast and give you a chance to participate. And that number is 720-573-9195. And you have a, a little under three minutes to leave a message. So please do. Say, say, the, say the number again. 720-573-9195. We could almost make that a poem. A little, a little jingle. With, with, yeah, a little jingle, yes. You can reach me at RoyceFitz, F-I-T-T-S dot com, spiritual counseling and dream work. This has been a real wonderful experience to step into the, the beautiful world of metaphoric dreams. And one last time, perhaps, Laura, just tell everybody again where they can get in touch with you. So you can reach me through either of my websites at firstchurchofmetaphor.com or lauradeal.com. All right. Well, thank you all. Thank you, thank everybody. You. And thank see you, you in the next episode of Healing Dreams Project Podcast.